0: Hi there, my name is Corey Dunden. And I'm Michelle Maunder. And you are listening to Spirited Conversations, engaging and elevating paediatric occupational therapists, a joint collaboration between Seed Paediatric Services and Developmental FX. Each week you'll hear from myself and Michelle as we nerd out with Tracy Stackhouse. Just a note before we start, Spirited Conversations is for informational purposes only. With that, let's jump in to today's episode. Hello everyone, welcome. Um, It's very exciting to be here. We today are going to continue on, although you can totally listen to this episode without having to go back and listen to episode number three, but we're going to take the little cherub that we talked about in episode three further along the journey so we sort of left that part of the episode open well and we talked about that clinically reasoned through it and then Michelle was going to take that further and people have been asking what's going on with these little ones that we've been talking about so Michelle is going to give us a little refresher remind us of our little friend and take us through the next things that happened for you in sessions with him?
1: What happened next? I'm just finished watching Outlander and uh, <laughs> The Last Kingdom so it kind of reminds me of that the next season <laughs> yes. <laughs> my yes. little guy yeah. who um, our treatment model is they come on weekly for a block of sessions and then they have a break which allows us to see another little family and come back so the last session in what I explained I guess in episode Two was really... Oh, three. (laughs) The power of praxis, that one. The power (laughs) of praxis. He's this little guy. He was uh, nearly six at the time. He came to us with some sensory motor challenges and specifically that sensory discrimination that was impacting his postural stability and also his planning, specifically that motor execution component. He's a clever guy and... His strengths are his playfulness, his drive to be social and also his ideation. So he's got this pattern of coming up with lots of ideas and working around that when he's not successful. So he keeps kind of changing the goalposts. (laughs) Um, The very last session, which was fascinating for me, there was a ball in the room and he just started willy nilly kicking it around in every attempt was in another random way. It was firstly his feet, then his knees and, you know, up the ramp. So we were discussing in the episode this need to stay attuned to him, follow his lead and be open and ready for his invitation to become more masterful in the activities that he was doing, the play that he was doing, so that we could infuse his play with some more skills or, or components that was going to help him be more masterful, so refining his sensory discrimination, refining his exact function component of praxis where he notices he's making an error, noticing that he needs to make some changes that he needs to problem solve and then act on that and then reevaluate. So I went away after the episode and just really brainstormed. I was like, right, when he comes in next, you know, what are some of the activities I could have crafted in the room available so he wanders in and we just very kind of naturally, you know, move on to ball play. Really is where I was going to continue. I thought, um, and I also kind of came up with some more phrases and language around when he is making errors, how I might just say some things that offered him the opportunity to, you know, have another try, really, and I wonder what we could do about it. So I came in with this big kit of things that I was going to have on the ready when they presented themselves. So I did have some balls and I did have some noodles available. And he pretty much repeated the last session and bounced around and, you know, I was like, oh, hey, you know, (laughs) tried out a few of my new little things that I was going to infuse naturally into the session and he ignored them (laughs) and kicked (laughs) the ball around. So then I was thinking, I need a hotline to Tracy, (laughs) you know, what next, Tracy? (laughs) But I knew I got the feel. It was like, wait, 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 you know, just hold, wait, the opportunities will arrive. And this is, you know, what I'm about to tell you next is just the aspects that I love about our job is that they kids keep surprising you and, you know, that we just have to be on the ready and that we have to be around a lot of theories and, a, you know, a lot of practices because you just kind of never know what's going to show up. So the little kiddo came for session two where deep in... COVID. Um, so he was wearing a mask. He happened to have, it's also it was spring at the time. So he had a little clear dribbly nose, you know, so he was quite alarmed um, and just saying, I don't have COVID. I've got a dribbly nose. It's kind of uncomfortable because I've got a mask on. What am I going to do? So as we're walking into the room, which had balls everywhere, I <laughs> was like, oh, you know, I know lots of kiddos that have trouble blowing their nose. I can help with that. Would you like to work on that? So he was like, yeah, sure. So we sit down, I quickly, you know, remove the balls, run and grab t- tissues. I just thought to grab the bubble mountain and we have a oral motor kit so I pull out a harmonica. From there, but just thinking, oh, I knew that exhaling out the nose wasn't readily available for him. And so we really just started exploring what to do next. I guess in my mind, I just really had to backpedal and think, wow, we're on a different, we're going into task analysis, we're going into ADLs, we're going into, you know,
0: self-care. <laughs>
1: self-care, and but he's highly motivated by this. I guess he hasn't been in the past, so I was thinking, how long is this going to last? And, you know, anyway, I just went with what he was offering, which was not in any of the stuff I mm-hmm. had thought about before. In terms of activities and in terms of how I was communicating, it was absolutely involving you know sensory discrimination and planning and this goal directedness and being masterful in um in discrete skill discrete skill yeah. absolutely so I went with it it was just so fascinating <laughs> because it it was an about turn for me really uh so I guess that's a learning really so how that kept playing out was is I knew that he could do Bubble Mountain. Anyway, I won't get into the details. Is it helpful to know what happened next?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I th- so. And I
2: think it's probably helpful to, to know what is Bubble Mountain. Because yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> Our
0: lingo that we just forget. Yeah. Don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Talk them through Bubble Mountain first and then we can keep going because I think it's helpful.
1: Yeah. Okay. So Bubble um, Mountain is an activity that we've just named that, I I think it is a yeah, people known.
0: call it lots of different yeah. things. Yeah. So I'm I can explain yeah. it if you want. Yeah. Um not that you don't know what it is. But um yeah, it's just we just fill up um, a bucket with a little bit of water in the bottom and some dish soap and then we have we call it chewy tube. It's basically just a like a like big a long rubber aircraft. yeah, therab tubing straw and you then blow into the water at the bottom of the bucket and bubbles start to form up and up and up, almost it looks like a mountain or a volcano. So it's just another oral motor game that we use to... To extend the breath,
1: really. It's like a long exhale through the tube. And it just helps give that visual cue of having a long exhale, which can help with regulation, but lots of oral motor coordination as well. I knew, and we've done that before for the purposes of regulation, so I knew he had a long exhale through his mouth. And so I just thought that was a nice way to start for him to get oriented to his mouth and paying attention to breath. Mm. So we were doing that and, and really highlighted that he was doing a long breath out his um, mouth and a big inhale through his nose. So breathing in and breathing out and was going in different places. So then we did that for a little bit and I just oriented him to breath and how amazing that you can change up your breath fast and slow and hard and, you know, gradual and then I pulled out the harmonica and look, this is pretty in the moment stuff. But, mm. So pulled out the harmonica because I could just, just in my mind that you could do both. That So he was breathing through the harmonica in and out so he could exhale in and out mm. through his mouth and that, that wasn't much of a leap for him he readily got that so we really quickly then moved on to well let's close your mouth and see if we can blow out your nose and I had the tissues there so I just put a few around and he had to flutter the tissues mm. um again there would be more <laughs> appropriate and fun <laughs> games but you know you're just kind of going really quickly oh, yeah um <laughs> And then I was like, okay, now we're going to do it all through the nose. So going in through your mouth and out through your nose. And we can do the same with Bubble Mountain. We can have a long, slow, you know, low tension. I didn't use that word. Through the nose. Or we can do a, a short, chart honk. And you could do a hard yeah. nose blow. So we literally just played around with how you could make air come out your nose. And that how you could shift air in and out your mouth and nose and what were we going to do next and we just got to be playful about force and um and coordination of that anyway he just was in the moment of it I just kept the room I did have to go out once to get a few more resources the girls were there <laughs> our clinic door is quite close to the office so they were hearing me I guess traditionally many of the kids I see I don't get the opportunity to really work on refining tasks at, at that level and using language at that level as well. Nose blowing hasn't featured in my <laughs> sessions for a really long time. So I was kind of giggling with the girls and they're looking at me. And I was like, I'm blowing noses, you know. <laughs> so it was just
0: a bit of a giggle. It's amazing, really.
1: Yeah. And do you know what? He stuck with it the whole session. His <laughs> mum had to duck out and do something. So it was in the waiting room. He ran out and was like, can I show mum? I was like, yeah, you <laughs> can show mum so he went and did it like a little blow but it wasn't going to clear the nasal passages so I was like let's try that again so we ran back in the clinic and he got his really big honker kind of blow mastered (laughs) went out and showed mum and you know anyway it was just fascinating over the weeks he continued to come with tasks you know relating to ADL so the next week we looked at shoelace tying he was focused on that he wanted to then be able to do undo a double knot it was balloon blowing and then balloon tying up and he I guess oh there's so many things in this one I just couldn't believe it when the goal was driven by him and he'd identified it and kept showing up with that he showed so much more capacity to stick with it and Monitor and problem solve and stay I guess regulated. stay regulated and stay on task. I was bored. I was thinking, oh, I'll do this nose blowing for seven minutes and then we'll get on with the session, you know what I mean? <laughs> but these tasks were the session and I was the one that kept being surprised because he stuck to it and showed far superior skills in adjusting and refining and regulating I did happen to have a mini tramp out with a a rainbow swing so there were some things that were available that he made use of when he was getting a little frustrated and then would come back to task and we'd shake that off and anyway it just really brought so many things together for me that you know the process of clinical reasoning that we might do The thinking about the doing of and the opportunities that we might provide in balancing with how they show up and what they're asking, you know, when they're ready for help and when they ask for it, they're ready and his capacity was far greater than what I would have ever given him credit for and that he kept showing up week after week with these ADL
0: tasks it's almost like success bred success for him and,
1: <laughs> and then let's get yeah. get into that get into the performance components of it anyway it was just surprising it added lots of bits of the praxis of sensory to scream so then I kind of had to get a little bit more weaving I knew that if I st- just focused on these splinter tasks that I really wasn't going to get to the underlying issues so I was trying to infuse but not um annoy him by trying to add some you know more interventions I guess that would help set him up to be able to seal the balloon closed for example and that I just had to dance around not dampening his uh, motivation motivation (laughs) with you know some stuff for tactile discrimination and Oh, anyway, it was just gorgeous, and it was like, "Wow, wow!" You kiddos continue to teach me to just keep showing
2: up. I am the executive director of a nonprofit in Denver, and and as an, a nonprofit organization, there's this guru in the United States of nonprofits. Her name is Joan Gary. I bring this up because she says all the time this phrase that sort of lives in my head. And the phrase is nonprofits are messy. And I always extend that to actually life is messy and therapy is messy and providing intervention can sometimes feel. Messy, but I love instead I want to recode it for myself based on what you said, Michelle, which is you really started by talking about how you're constantly Mm. surprised. And I think what's interesting for me, so the first thing I want to say is this is maybe an Aussie thing to say, but good on you. <laughs> <It's like, laughs> good on you, mate. Good yeah. on you, it was mate. Australia day yesterday. Yeah, it actually was a
1: stray. good <laughs> on you,
2: mate. <laughs> because I think it's really the truth is that we have to be brave and we have to trust and we have to rely on all of our knowledge and our just ability to kind of show up and hold that relationship with the child and the goals and, and then just see where it goes. And it is sometimes kind of messy. It isn't like, I'm going to go down this path. Therapists who want it to be linear and sequential really struggle, right? (laughs) That's resonating with you, Corey. I'm laughing because it's like, we all want it to be linear,
0: it's the <laughs> control. We have to just Imagine continue our notes and oh, our planning
1: man. and our goals, you just and just continually
0: our wrestle with that, <laughs> wanting it to be clear and linear, and <laughs> it not being. And then the
2: Children's yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and I mean, even in you know neurosequential processing bruce perry 's model, where the idea is that it 's sequential it 's not sequential in the way that it unfolds and it 's not sequential in the way that we support or scaffold or support it, so regardless of the framework that you 're using when we 're with kids, I think clinical reasoning is critically important, and that 's why I love that we 're doing this podcast because. Mm-hmm. It allows us to come and reflect together on this nonlinear process. Mm -hmm. And yet, I think, Michelle, as you were talking, your ability to just respond and hold and then create and co-create with this boy Mm -hmm. in the moment is really so beautiful. And that working towards adaptation Mm -hmm. is really what occupational therapists are doing all the time is Mm. working to this higher level of adaptation. And so when you were trying to figure out the ball scenario, kind of sometimes what happens for kids is their needle gets stuck. We talked about that in another episode. Mm. And so sometimes, you know, when we're trying to follow the child's lead and if their needle is a little stuck, we can get a little stuck and it can feel like we're a little bogged down. So, the authentic thing that happened for him was that he wanted, his nose was drippy and there, this was a real thing. Mm -hmm. And what shifted there, the shifting landscape of his sort of development was pulled by that high route of a, the motivational Mm -hmm. system. And he, when his motivational system pulled him toward, I want to do this. And you were able to help him figure out, okay, how are we going to do that? That's a really beautiful, authentic, following his lead a moment that you could capture and capitalize on. But the reason he was ready in a different way to meet that adaptive challenge, but also your lens of knowing that tuning in with him in a playful way, to the elements that were a little bit weak for him, sensory discrimination, Mm. interoceptive awareness, and then turning up the dial for him around Mm. how can I embody the experience of blowing Mm. in a full, rich, interoceptive, sensory discrimination-informed way. And, you know, sometimes I think when we see that high route of A switch on, we often see this more cognitively lane activation. Dan Siegel has these four E's of cognition that I think you kind of danced through. So I thought it would be fun to sort of mention them here. Ooh, yeah. No, heard of those. yeah. So yeah.
1: yeah,
2: I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, Good on, you,
1: Michelle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so
2: right. he talks about how there are these four E's of cognition. You start with embodied, so you have to have this sensory motor experience, and that sensory motor experience has to be sensory, really laid in the sensation that allows for the skill. So in this way, interoception was really critical for him to embody. The next so I'll let me tick through the E's and then we'll discuss them for a second. So he talks about embodied cognition, enacted cognition, extended cognition, and then embedded cognition. So sort of what those mean. And and again, you know, Dan Siegel is a genius and his work I'm sort of drawing from here. So go to the primary source would be always my advice. Uh, If you're really interested in this, you can go and we'll put that in the show notes for you. But in applying that to this situation, Michelle, I felt like what you were really doing was first helping him embody that. You were playing with the introception. You were really helping him explore that. So you were then enacting it. You were putting it mm. into an adaptive act. And mm. at first it wasn't quite nose-blowing, right? It was sort of pre-nose-blowing. Mm. And he could enact that and have success and really find mastery. And when you keep that mastery drive switched on, and you can move from embodiment into enactment and then you can extend it and you can say, oh, you, you have variability here. You can do that mm. with uh, different ways of doing it. You can use your mouth. You can use your nose. You can do in. You can do out. You can do mm. all of this. And then you really embedded it in the actual skill mm. and in context and in something he could leave and take with him. So you danced through those ease." And what you did with that was you really pulled him into full adaptive response. Mm-hmm. And that is what skillfulness is all about. So, what a cool thing. I love it. Got lucky. Good on you, <laughs> Michelle.
0: No, it's your intuition. You just knew how to do that. You know, you have all the OT task analysis stuff at your fingertips as well. Mm. So, you. You didn't have any prep <laughs> because you just followed his lead, but you on the go were like, okay, these are the components that I will need to help highlight for him. And, and just you intricately weaved in the discrimination mm-hmm. pieces and the interoceptive parts. So that's, that's really well done. The bits,
1: I guess, that allowed me to do that, that hadn't showed up so readily for him in sensory motor tasks, particularly that were a little like an ADL task, is that he stuck with it. Mm. Previously he's moved the guideposts and he would have decided to pull the tubing out of the bubble mountain and decide to flick it or, or to, yeah. you know, pop the bubbles, which he probably did a bit of that, but he would have been like, yeah, bored with that, I'm moving on. You know, this blowing out the nose stuff's a bit tricky, particularly when I just in the moment couldn't come up with anything more amazing or exciting <laughs> than for him fluffing a few tissues in my hand, you know, make them wobble, make the tissues wobble. I think that's not too bad a game. <laughs> well, it was enough. There was enough in him, him. Sometimes, you know, when you just don't get yeah. the thing shiny enough or whatever <laughs> it is, they, they go off. And, you know, you know when that's happening because you see their eyes move, their body move, and it's like, damn it, I didn't, you know, my brain didn't get creative enough to do something other than fluff tissues with, you know. Nose, you know <laughs> nose blowing yeah but it's just fragile but his motivational bias that drive had him hanging in there through yeah. a bit of a tedious task and it didn't matter so much i had a bit more scope he had you know wider boundaries i guess to sit with that and i i know because he's social and affective driven, I got goofy about it and was like, whoa, you know, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. add some stuff where the tissues were pretty lame. But anyway, that, that was fascinating for me that he it stuck with it. that where he hadn't otherwise. Particularly it was a bit sedentary. It was not so fun, that aspect of it. Mm, so it, that was new.
0: It seemed like that piece though recruited the yes. – uh, maybe, is that effortful control there,
2: yeah, Tracy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Because I was like,
0: that's obviously that higher out of A Then, you know, in terms of strongly motivated towards the task, pulling online and... The attention. Con- yeah, yeah connecting to the executive function of effortful control and grit, which it seems like it's a bit weak mm. for him. In other situations, even when he is – sounds like he has been, like, interested in something, but if he gets a sense of it being slightly too hard or he's not being quite as successful as he has hoped, that he changes the goalpost or – is that what kind of happens? I think
1: two things happen. He's something – there's an error and instead of going, oh, how will I fix that error – to keep on goal, his brain has snapped to work, not snapped, (laughs) jumped, (laughs) jumped, sparked, (laughs) Uh, he's had a light bulb to how do I go around that? Oh, I'll find, you know, so he doesn't stay on task so much. So it's more a a lateral problem solving, probably because his postural stability and motor execution has been a little lower and slower, but his cognition um, and also a real discrimination. Strength. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So he just cognitively goes round, goes round. So I think that's been his kind of neurological pattern is think a way around, think a way around rather than stay on a task.
2: So... What I think is so important for us to pause and think about for a moment is that in that cycle of four E's, the first one is embodied. And in his body, he tends to move laterally. Mm. And in his attentional system, he tends to move laterally. And in his problem solving, he tends to move laterally. You know, sometimes we see this pretty deep and profound reenactment from embodiment and then into the attentional system, the same kind of processing. Mm. And it it doesn't mean it has to stick that way, but he's used to his habit pattern, his occupational habits, Mm. if we can refer to them in that way, are to be lateral Mm. and not continue to refine and go forward in this more effortful way. So what is interesting is that when we harness this high level of motivation, it helps him to start to embody it in a different way enact it in a different way, extend it in a different way, and then embed it in a different way. And that creates a new habit pattern of adaptation. And it broadens his neural network. And in so many ways, our clinical reasoning allows us to come back to what does he have capacity for and where are we stretching him to? So you, you have that in your mind, Michelle, and you have that mm-hmm. in your intention yes. with him and you're holding that. And then you can co-create opportunities for him to not just repeat the same pattern but to find a way and, you know, attention is such a broad concept. We're kind of talking in the high level executive functioning framework that we have on the spirit tool. This is connected to that high route of A and it's really related to this very broad attentional network, but attention is really what is directing our effort and our energy and our capacity And so if we are on, if we are attending uh, to something and we attend to it in a way that is more whole, then the attention actually gets bigger. If we attend to something and then have to laterally shift to sort of dodge out of it, then our attention is blunted. And that's kind of been his pattern before. So now we're finding, he's finding if I stay on my motivational task and you scaffold my sensory discrimination so that I can do this, wow, something new happened. And it's that part of coming together in the shared occupation of let's explore this and find this and play with it. And your beautiful mastery, Michelle has a clinician of affectively, playfully, making it interesting enough for him to stick with it and his motivation to do so broadened this whole experience. So I think that's just really powerful. Mm. I have a few thoughts Mm. about that. I was wondering, because he continued
0: to come back and do this with many different tasks with Michelle, you were talking about him moving laterally instead of continuing forward in this sort of effortful way. And that, and Michelle's pointed out the number of reasons as to why he's done that in the mm. past. So I'm wondering in Michelle doing that with him on this task, if in that process, did she start to build the co- neural network capacity for that to conti- like, be a thing, be available to him? Because is that kind of what you mean about this attention system getting bigger? Yeah in terms of the neural network is getting stronger for him to, to do that and sustain with
2: that is Right. That's exactly right. So these are like pathways, you know, mm. that we, we carve out. And there's lots of different terminology that's used in the neuroscience literature. One term that's, I think, kind of a it paints a picture for me as this idea of canalization. You're 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 digging this deep canal, right? Mm. There's another kind of idea. Marty Smith is an OT here in the United States who I do some collaboration with and she talks about it. She lives in Texas, so this is a state that has a lot of cows. And so she uses a cow <laughs> analogy to talk about how yeah, the- walking on the same path. Yeah, they walk on the same path through the grass, mm. right? And then it creates... Aussies this. really
0: could get a visualization of that, mm. most of
2: them, especially yeah, yeah. here. Yeah. The
0: animal track, you can really it see gets it. gets wider it and
2: does. more entrenched. Yeah. And- yeah, so if it's wider and more entrenched and he keeps walking on the lateral shift path, What has happened is that you came along as the new leader of the cow pack and you kind of created a new way of saying, wait, let's stick with this in a different, wider way. And in the nervous system, trying to say, you know, this is the habit pattern that I've been doing. So these strong connections are in the fast processing In that slower processing, we need to sort of say, no, you know what, I'm going to inch you over here and help you see that you can connect in a different way. So neural networks connect in really fascinating different kinds of ways. And, you know, it's speculative here that we think that we're influencing this level of processing. But when we see a change in adaptation, that change is only happening because something shifted. And so you can picture it that way. Yeah, I was like reflected in the observation. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it kept showing up like week after week. He kept surprising me and coming and saying, I want to blow up a balloon, you know. And we pretty much repeated the similar structure of the sessions in terms of how to go, observed it. I wonder what didn't work, you know, broke it down. Um, so I guess I fell into Dan Siegel's for
0: ease and probably um, like more of a co-op kind of yeah. model of collaborative pro- like not yes. collaborative problem solving because that's no, <laughs> Ross Green, not but. Bruce Greens, but That's good
1: <laughs> at what, what it was. It was I was trying to keep him interested because I know potentially he's gone off in the past, so I was just trying to keep and hold him there. But he, he just kept showing up with it. And oh, I, I just can't underestimate how much it blew me away and that I was sharing that with the girls in the clinic going, <laughs> oh, my God, we're still doing it, you know. I'm doing balloons. I'm tying up balloons for a whole session. Like it just continued to blow me away. But, but it's fascinating what you ta- the context you're talking about because – was it repeatable the task he could repeat and he did keep practicing at home but that he wanted me to repeat the process which kind of makes me think that whatever neural adaptation was that was happening he wanted more of that across different tasks you know so let's look at these tasks now let's look at that but it became available for him Yeah, So so whether we can measure neurologically what's happening or not, it it just is curious to me that he kept wanting more of the same process, I guess. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And, you know, Ross Green, you mentioned, so we'll just say kids do the best they can when they can. So when he's with the balls, he's doing the best that he can because the adaptation in his lateral thinking, he couldn't kind of get on a path forward to something that was more skillful, a little higher level, he was a little stuck. And that was more related to his, you know, our previous analysis, I think in episode three around his ideational praxis and all of those functions. Mm. And and we're still talking about those, but we're talking about them in that spiraling continuum mm. that advances forward. So now he's found a mm. new level and a new... um a new landing pad to kind of springboard from. And in that, he's using his own power of motivation Mm. to find a higher level of adaptation. And when we work with kids to do that, to really find those springboards and exercise that path forward, wow, it's so beautiful. And it does feel wonderful to us and it feels wonderful to kids. It feels like, I am the master of the universe. You know, I, I, I do have mastery drive here. And um, uh, my, yeah, and, and it's the most beautiful affective shared moment. And we really feel it. And they need that. They need this, you know, all of this development that is the richest and the most productive happens in the interpersonal space. And it happens in the shared moment. And so what a beautiful, Mm. cool job we have to get to do that, right?
0: Oh, this makes me think of the cows walking down the paddock and (laughs) ingraining the pathways. And I was thinking about when you start to lead them in that new pathway, to me, if it's more adaptive, then the nervous system is going to just want to start to do that instead of him continuing to use that lateral shifting away from. Now Michelle has built this beautiful capacity for this new way of approaching things He's just going to want to naturally go that way. And that's so exciting. Yeah.
1: But do you know what? I'm even thinking that he was leading me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I was still, you know, he's the leader of the cow pack. Because he, I just was still with the balls, gross motor, spatial, you know, lots of spatial challenges. He, um, his bilaterality in his lower limbs aren't as good as his upper limb. So he was like, whoa, 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 Michelle, we, we're going down this. gross motor, ball, impulsive, high energy path. And I'm not at my best there. So how about, Michelle, I'll take you down to a bit more sedentary, fine motor, cognitive um, pathway because I'll do better there. And he did. I think we still need to go to the more gross motor, ball activities. Mm.
0: But maybe he has more capacity to do that now. Yeah, but maybe he was leading me there. (laughs)
1: He was like, whoa, 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 whoa. we're on the wrong (laughs) track. So I'm not. I'm not going to claim that I was the, the cow leader.
0: No, but you made the pathway more meaningful just by you yeah. know having that interpersonal experience around yeah, that. Totally, absolutely.
1: And so did his mum. You know, um, yeah. Just having her not in there at the moment—a moment meant that he could yeah. race out and share successes yes. with her, and then come back and try again. And oh, so it just you know happened to. Um, fall out or, or work out really well for us um and he wanted you're right he wanted more of that yeah. but um yeah I think he kicked the balls to the curb <laughs> not me I was gonna hang around with those balls and, and work you, you know you did kick them to the <laughs> canvas shell grab those tissues and balloons <laughs> <Yeah>. and shoelaces <laughs>
0: I love that. I love, you're like, no, he led me down the new path. (laughs) Um, No, that's, I mean, and the other thing that kind of came to mind earlier for me was just this whole, sometimes it feels like we need to teach a skill and, and the child isn't, you feel like they're not as invested or sometimes it's like we really need to get them to learn how to use the toilet.
1: Yeah, it's a carer's or a parent's goal or just yeah. developmentally that's where they need to go but they're yeah. not invested in that. Yeah, yeah, and they're not,
0: and you you as a therapist are kind of like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to do this because they're not, uh, you know, yeah, they're that. not yeah. into it yet. And so, I mean, I... I thought about an example of a number of years ago now, but a child, well, a teenager that I was working with, with quite a moderate intellectual disability, and there was lots of concerns because she couldn't manage her zips and her clothes independently, and privacy-wise, especially as she's coming into puberty, and it was a really big goal, and... Oh, man, the discrimination that's required in visually seeing the zip and knowing that it matches and fitting it in and knowing that it's actually pushed all the way down, and all of that stuff that mm. was just oh really hard for her, similar to your little mm. guy, like the balls just directing them and controlling his lower limbs and shifting his weight and mm. just super hard and so and she
1: wasn't motivationally pulled towards no being successful in doing up her
0: fasteners no well I mean it wasn't something that she was she could come to me and say I want to work on this you know that wasn't a thing and so yeah I had to I had to really change up the way to approach that because oh, I feel like we've all had the experience of trying to force a kid to learn a skill when they're not invested and it's like trying to pull teeth mm, it feels so <laughs> it's awful. so hard but yeah for for her it was like in the way that I was working with her I had a weak of sessions blocked out so I had this intensive model and so I knew I had the time to do the repetition that sometimes I feel like over a week to week I lose the progress for some Mm. of that like really skill-based thing. so it was like I have these five days and I'm gonna peg it really slowly over these next five days and start really really simply I can't even remember how we did it but i basically was like what's the very least amount she could do and have success and I'm just going to jump on that and just be so excited that she's done it Mm. (laughs) because that was one strength that I could pull from there was she was super socially motivated in that Mm. way if your affect was impressed and positive and reinforcing she was like oh I can catch on to that and that's enough for me you know I can use that to sort of sustain I guess the executive function effortful control system a little longer your affect judging me along like Mm. oh yeah you're into that so maybe I'll be into that a little bit more Mm. but yeah it started with such simple nothing really and then by the end of the week she was doing up her zippers Uh but I also had to be like oh you know we'll, we'll just do two more I can see it's really hard you're doing really good but I think it was tough because there was a level of I really need to help you get this and then I can see how hard this is mm. for you like this is really difficult given your current level of skill your capacity in the sensory discriminative system your postural system so you know I, there was no way I was going to expect her to stand and do her catches where you're gonna have to sit mm-hmm. we're gonna have to take out some elements of difficulty here because It's just not going to fly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit more about your, just that clinical reasoning process and how you, you sorted, what are you going to, how are you going to simplify it? How are you going to amplify these qualities? How are you going to scaffold and structure her? How, what just each of the pieces, you know, that, that went into your thinking for that?
0: Well, it's really interesting because, because it was a number of years ago I can even now reflect back and go, oh, there's lots of things that I would have done better <laughs> than at the time. Um, I was only probably a couple years out at that point. But even, even just at the time, I remember thinking, okay, this has to be, I have to make the first time as successful as possible. So whatever the task is, it can't be putting your zip in and getting it all the way to the top that just can't be the task I have to really take all the extra other elements out and maybe the first thing is just being able to hold one side of your jacket and move the um, zip up and down without the other side even being attached or um, and the other thing that I remember having was all these other things that she liked to do right after it. So that it was, oh, we're going to do three of these. And I gave her a really clear end point of how how long are we going to do this hard activity mm-hmm. before we go and move into something that you really love to do. And I, because I've worked with you for a while and know that you love to do that. So it was, she could sort of grasp onto that real has yeah. set up in advance, that predictability, if we were going through some of your step SI. Step SI.
2: <laughs> yeah, like the step SI can be helpful. In, and if you had known that at yeah. that time, yes. it would have helped you to think it through. But predictability isn't only in the step SI. It's a logical piece yeah. that kind of supports and, and, and allows for structure. And structure, external structure, sometimes supports the ability to kind of carry out something that and and just it alleviates needing to hold on to it internally so there were so many intuitive pieces that you were kind of coming to I think developing strong treatment plans is a journey over the course of a career and I think it's cool to share a story from earlier before you studied a lot of different approaches and then how different it would be if you were doing it today. That's kind of a fun exercise in a way, right? Yeah, because, I mean,
0: I really, I knew that I wanted to work on this skill, my capacity to break it down, even task analysis-wise, or um, matching her current skill level. So how much was she able to discriminate see where the zip was going and, and, and feel whether that it was actually in or clicked in and hold it and then coordinate two hands together to pull the zip up. Even my knowledge around that wasn't as good as it is now.
1: Mm. And, and just s- even posturally, you said she had to do oh. it sitting down so that postural stability, you eliminated that for her. Yeah,
0: totally. And I don't even know if I on purpose thought about that beforehand but I kind of intuitively could see that that was not going to happen, you know. Yeah, so, too, too yeah. True. So now I'm like, oh, there's no way, you know, that she would be able to have done that standing up and coordinate all of her body parts to do that task. And then, even just the all I really, all I was really good at was like, really playfully trying to continue to support her to stay with it. (laughs) I mean, I was not all I was good at, but that was my best skill at that time. And so (laughs) my, that was what I knew I had to reduce the task demand. I knew that the Just Right Challenge had to be more simple. And I knew that I had to reinforce when she did anything that was close to what I wanted her to work towards, because if I had been a little better at all of the other pieces I would have probably been able to set her up a little bit more with her tactile discrimination beforehand or I would have known to have got really big zips like get really big zips before you even try to do the jacket that she's using or you, you know I would have had ways that I could have refined that I just started with the jacket she had And we just went from there. But do you know what? Sometimes, a bit like me with uh, my little guy,
1: I just grabbed our stuff and tissues. You know, sometimes you just got to get resourceful and creative about that and go with it. Versus when we have time, you can make your elaborative, you know, arts and craft activity and, you know, whatever, whatever your flavor is. You can get that but the reality is you you just don't and maybe you could make it a bit, you know, instead of relying on your motivation and your affect to drive, you know, her, um, is that you put it at the end of an activity that she loves which might be going for a swim in the pool and so that you're undressing her, you know, facilitating her undress to go in the pool which is naturally more motivating for her. Anyway. In the ideal world, when when they line up, you know,
0: linear, linearly, linearly, is yes. that a word? We're making that a word. Yeah. <laughs> when it's all ducks in a row, <laughs> yeah. Then I think you can do yeah. have a perfect plan, but, but it's the only cool thing about that situation for me is that I I did have somewhat of a plan because oh, yeah because she'd come in for this specific five days, mm. so. It's nice to know my ability to reason for that now would be different to my ability to reason for that when it happened last mm. time. And good on me, I got to the zips in the end. But you know, like, and not, I was like, not just me, but good, good on, on her. her. You know, yeah. like she she did it. She and she was so happy yeah. about it. Like you said, Tracy, with that mastery drive. And she wasn't a f- always a hundred percent successful, but she could feel that something was becoming easier for her it was becoming a thing that oh actually maybe I can do this thing yeah um and the only reason I wanted to bring that up was because I know there's situations mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's, oh man we really have to do this and I don't know how to How to get the kids' motivational system on board for this?
1: Mm, It's somebody else's goals. We see meriting. Or sometimes you advocate, it's like, you know what, they're not quite there yet. So you're you're advocating for the person.
0: Or just environmentally, they Mm. need to be able to manage their bowel for school. And Mm. so it's like, oh man, how how do we go about this? And Mm -hmm. I always draw from my neurodevelopmental frameworks in that, even like you said, well, actually, they're at this place. So what's the next stretching to Mm -hmm. for that? Because the people around them are wanting the, the next stretching two to be full toileting. <laughs> right. It's like, well the next stretching two is actually just this. Yeah. Um so yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: So what I what I also think is it, it it reminds me that, you know, within our discipline we think about those occupational outcomes through task analysis, but really also through that I can do it. You know, it's it's taking that M off of po- impossible, mm-hmm. getting rid of the M yeah. and making it possible. And that, that might sound kind of corny, but the truth is that when you're in the space with the child or the adult, whoever it is that you're helping, if you can help them find that, I, c- I actually can do this. I can blow my nose and I can find joy and I can stay regulated and... So there's an interesting thought here about how the motivational biasing system is a high level of regulation. Mm. If you think about it, that, you know, we often talk about dysregulation and all different kinds of images come to our minds. But even in the most dysregulated state, if you're in an I can do it kind of Mm. state, I can accomplish this, I want to do that, whatever, it's going to pull you forward. So that state she got into of wait oh maybe I can do this as soon as you switched her into maybe I have agency and power and capacity here that keeps you moving regardless of the difficulties and I think that's so beautiful so I the I can space is a space that we want to always try to find in with our kiddos you know mm.
1: In a really genuine way, yeah. not that not that they can't be astronauts or, you know, be the
2: land
0: you know, of the
1: moon, whatever it is, but just in a really, yeah, you can, you know, genuinely mm-hmm. achieve whatever it is that you're setting out
0: to do, to believe in yourself. Mm. I, love, yeah. I love that because that's why I liked doing the work. That's mm-hmm. why I, I continued to come back because people used to say to me, Oh, isn't it sad working with people who have difficulty with doing I don't know X, Y, or Z? And no, actually, it's so satisfying because that first time that they do something and they look at you and they go, oh, "I did it!" You're like, "Yeah, you did!" Like you know, <laughs> you just—it's so exciting for that that moment to come about. What a great way to finish up today <laughs> oh man we will see you i guess we'll see everybody next time next time we record and maybe i'll have a baby
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we can let's do it <laughs> you bye everyone bye. bye this podcast is brought to you by seed pediatric services and developmental fx For more information, please go to our show notes on our website, spiritedconversationspodcast.com or catch us on our Seed and Developmental FX Facebook or Insta pages. So grateful to have you with us for this episode. Take care and we'll see you next time.